It is some vague time after five o'clock on the West Coast on a Wednesday. That means one thing and one thing only. The No Persinium Review crew has gathered in deep in the metaverse uh, to talk about the stuff that has been intriguing us of late. Uh, all things immersive and a few things beyond the regular immersive sphere. Uh, joining me this week, also here in Los Angeles, is... Hey, this is Kevin Goss. Who is our LA Review et- Reviews editor and uh, coming to us from the East Coast... Hi, this is Blake Weil. All right. Um, we're going to... Oh, and I guess I should say who I am. I'm Noah Nelson. Uh, I'm uh, I'm functioning as host this week, and I've been gone for a bit, so I, uh, I can barely remember how to do any of this. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, we know, we know you, you may be pulled away by a work thing, and, and you've got something uh, you'll have to talk about, uh, but I want to... We'll, we'll get to you in a minute. Hold on. Hold on. We'll get to you. I know. You're raring to go. Just hold on. Hold on, Kevin. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, but uh, this week, uh, we're, we're probably going to be less in immersive directly than not. But Blake, I, you and I have been playing the same video game lately. Oh. Oh, yeah. And, and I want to start there. Yeah. I am a big fan of, and uh, I will... I will let you take the floor on that one because this, uh, I think I'm a little bit further than you Mm -hmm. and I want you to set the pace on, on spoiler level. Uh, we won't go into anything too major, I don't think. So don't run away, but if you want to go in totally blind, uh, tell us about the, the game's title and give us a countdown. (laughs) (laughs) So here's, here's what I'm going to say. The game we're going to talk about is Inscription. And there's there's a reason why we're talking about it on this podcast, uh, because of all the video games I have come across in quite some time, and I'm including The Black Watchman, which is uh, an ARG in video game form, which uh, I, I started tackling a little while ago. Uh, this is this is the most um, hitting you in the immersive feels that I have encountered. I really don't want like everyone who talks about this game is being super circumscript about what they're talking about. So what I'm going to say is we will talk about things uh, from early in the first act. So, so Blake, just when the ARG elements start to more when the escape elements start to come in, then really the ARG elements but I will note that functionally there there kind of are ARG elements right from minute one in this piece. Uh, uh, it, it's really an incredible feat. So uh, this game ostensibly, and this is definitely a game that we can say is ostensibly something. This game is ostensibly it's ostensibly a lot of things. It's ostensibly a lot of things. But but what it what it uh, what it presents itself as is a uh, collectible card trading game. It's the core mechanic of it. Um, so th- this thing kicks off and you're in like a 3D environment. Uh, you, you, there's this, uh, I, I think the really telling thing is right from this, not really telling, but one of the really interesting things is it starts off and there's a little, there's a little moment before that happens that will make you go kind of like, well, that's weird. And then you're given, there's four options. There's new game, continue, credits, and then I think there was, there was one other option. Options. Uh, options. There's options, right? Right at the start. Those are the four options you're given. And new game is blacked out. You cannot, interfe- you cannot intersect with new game. And this is right from the beginning. So already you're 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 put on the on the wrong foot and you've got to continue and then you go into this space and there is a, a figure shrouded in darkness sitting across from you at a table and with these wild eyes and it starts talking to you about playing the game and you have this like 3D rendered kind of feeling like a an early PS3 era graphics maybe even 
P- late PS2 era graphics. I was going to say like like about as good as like a mist remaster. Exactly. That level of of representation of like a fully realized like table and you're going to play this card game on this table. So it's not you're not playing the card game on your screen so much as you you're embodying a character or you you see your hands put down. So when you when you pull your hands up, you see the hand. And then after you lose for the first time, um you are allowed to get up from the table and move around this ca- this creepy cabin in the woods. You assume it's the woods because it feels that way, right? It's a classic cabin in the woods motif. And there are things on the walls and drawers you can interact with. And basically, it's an escape room at that point. There's all this stuff you can start messing around with. And as you mess around and solve those puzzles, those puzzles give you things that you can then take back to the board and use in the game. And all the while, the creepy eyes are watching you from the dark. So if you turn and look back, you will see the eyes just just staring at you. And then you come back and some of the cards talk to you, kind of implying that there's something really weird going on with these cards. And as you you go along, this is kind of the rhythm of it all. There's the card game mechanics, there are these escape mechanics, if you totally fail out, um, you will you will die, and there's a whole sequence. But in in dying, you're also given what's called a death card. You're allowed to kind of build a new card out of the cards that you did have, and then those cards can kind of come back into the mix. Um, there's this there's a it's it itself is really intricate, but every time you think you know what this game is about and what it's doing, there's something just outside of your knowledge that's going to come in and turn it on its head. And the surprise level is so great that I think at some point we'll have to do a spoiler cast about it, uh, which is something we've never... Oh, yeah. We've never once, really, yeah, once we're both done with it, we'll do a spoiler cast. Once we're both done, and once I have walked you through some of the ARG elements outside the game i've been playing with because nice nice. this is a this is a portal to a very rich very long arg how long has that arg been running because like i i definitely heard that they're like it it was at least a lead up to the game right so there is a lead up to the game there is stuff contained within the game that is correct and minor spoiler for fans of the developer there's implications that it ties in to other ARGs and other properties that he has worked on. Mm, wow. Wow. And what, what um, company is that and what, what games are those? So this is a well, it's been published by Devolver. Uh this is actually an independent developer, which is kind of a wow. I'm forgetting his name, but he's the same guy who did Pony Island and the Hex. Yeah, and and right now things. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up right now. And when I when I got it, it there was kind of bundled. There was a little sale over the week, over the week. Daniel Mullins Games. So it's this this guy named Daniel Mullins. Uh, and, and look, I I don't know anything about this cat. For all we know, like hopefully we're not in a milk duck a milkshake duck situation here. I, I really hope that doesn't end up happening. Um, but yeah, Pony Island, the Hex, there was a bundle on Steam that had them all. So I got like all three for 20 bucks. This after, uh, the Waypoint radio crew just losing their minds over, over this game. And, and there's a free demo and I started playing the demo and within like three minutes, I was like, oh no, no, I, I, I can't do many more of this demo. I need the game right now. And I fully lost myself in it for some time. And and that's the thing, is like there there what's what's interesting is that and Blake Do you I'm get biting my tongue a little bit? Yeah. But I, I get 
I get what you're saying. Um, if I can try to articulate it a little bit, please what go for it. Sort of makes this game relevant to our podcast is not just kind of the fact that it does work in ARG and escape room mechanics, but it also has this very personal sense of intimacy. Mm-hmm. The entire first act of the game, at the very least feels like you're experiencing a one-on-one. The ARG mechanics very much have the same rise and fall to them that, like, rifling through things in a sandbox immersive might have, Mm -hmm. mixed with just that ARG puzzle-solving crunchiness. And overall, I think it is the only game that has given me the feeling in my adult life that I had reading haunted video game creepypasta as a teenager. So there's that. It feels like the, I feel like I'm actually like, there's a malevolent force inside this game that I imagine. Very much so. This is like your own little Ben drowned adventure. And, and this may be, you may be too young for this. Uh, and I don't usually drop that in the cast, but but this this is a little older. This is one of the few things that has given me full on Blair Witch Project vibes. In Asia. very much so, and good, good. I, I I cannot go into kind of the specifics of that. Correct, but, yeah, neither of us can. But it gets so Blair Witchy. Yeah. Uh, and not just in a creepy cabin in the woods with maybe a murderer sort yeah. of way. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, there's. This is the shit, y'all. This, this, this is the shit. And check it out and join us for our inevitable spoiler cast. Yes, like, yes. And and so, and seriously, and, like if you're a student of the form, this is really worth worth paying attention to on a couple of different levels because I think it's going to introduce some of these mechanics and most importantly introduce this storytelling technique. Right. Um, and, and there's a whole well, level. Oh, go for it. So long as we're gushing, if, if you have a headset, I mean, it's not optimized for VR, but like, please try playing this in VR because I can't even imagine how that would feel. I don't know. I don't know if I, I haven't, I haven't tried to plug it all in. I don't think it will. And I don't know if it'll do anything other than just be like on your screen. But I, I would say like the, the cabin sequence, I can, I, I was instantly going like, Oh, I could see this get getting ported over to the, to the quest. I in, really hope it does. Yeah. In, in time, in time, it, it, uh, in time, like everything, I think will like in time. I think this will be ported to a bunch of different platforms. So if you don't have a PC, uh, and I don't know what the system requirements are, like I've got a pretty good machine that I you know acquired last year for for doing VR stuff, but it's it doesn't ask a lot that that uh, from what I've seen so far. Like I don't think graphically it's going to really mess up your machine. Kevin, uh, you felt like you might have jumped in at some point. When- oh, yeah, I was going to ask, like, yeah, where is it available? Like, how can people Steam. actually play it's this? Steam. It's Steam. You know? It's like 20 bucks. Uh, it'll, it, you know, maybe it's still on sale a little bit. Um, I, I picked it up for, I picked it and the other two up for for $20 for the for the package. Because um, I was just like, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, if I, if I like this so much. And uh, I, I can strongly recommend Pony Island. Never played the hex though. Yeah. Yeah. Um Kevin, did you wanna did you wanna make your game pitch right now? Or, sure. or yeah, still... yeah, because we're gonna yeah, okay. in that kind of like that that sort of video gamey, sort of immersive adjacent type world, and that's uh um uh, uh place ball again. Something something new for me. <laughs> Never talked about it before on this podcast. So um placeball is sort of back right now, and they're doing it sounds like the the full experience will be back sometimes next next year with an actual mobile app to kind of tie into some stuff. But oh. in between as a treat for like kind of fans and so they can work on some things, they're doing a series of what they're calling short circuits um, that sort of ties into the lore of, of baseball, but not too much um, where they're running two week on season. So they'll do two weeks of something and then 
you can vote to make some changes and then at some point those will another short circuit will happen for two weeks so it's a way to kind of ease into into placeball without like diving into the full-on kind of craziness that it can become um so some of the elements that I've, that I've talked about that I think appeal to the kind of immersive side are not really present right now. It's much more kind of an actual baseball simulator with with betting and kind of those loops, but they have smoothed it out. It feels more user-friendly than it's been, mm. oh God, since probably sometime last year. Um, so it, I think it's easier to jump in. There's ways to, it's easier to bet now and you can actually bet forward about nine hours. So if you're going to kind of be working throughout the day or sleeping or whatever. You don't have to worry about losing out on that and kind of participate. Oh, you don't have to spend every waking minute playing a video game. Wow. What an innovation. (laughs) No, no, no. I think it's a good point. I think that's actually, if we tie back into the ARG thing of some of the kind of the the modern ARGs, it's, it's nice where you don't have to be focused on the damn thing for every waking hour to like feel like you're not missing out on something. So I think it's, so they are trying to make it like more sustainable for people to play and like yeah. experience instead of just yeah, like, I have to watch this stupid website all day for in case something cool happens. So it is much more accessible right now if anyone wants to kind of dive in and kind of play with it. And it's beyond for two weeks and then take a break for a little bit. So it's, is it two weeks for one round and so it's going to be persistent or are they doing like, Oh, this day is this, and then we're gonna do a whole new set. Like I guess no, like- yeah. So it'll it'll maintain the same rule sets. I guess that's the other part. So mm. for two weeks, it'll maintain the same rule set, and then I think at the end of the second week and the normal voting period, players will have a chance to kind of vote for what the next one will will kind of take on. And it seems like they're using this to test out different things that they'll probably bring forward into the actual game, whether it's this kind of betting style. And they've mentioned they have some other styles they're gonna kind of try out. So I think they can figure out what works for people and what works for them and is is fun from like an experience way and what's actually functional for people to like continue playing this game long term. I guess what I'm also asking is like, is it going to be one arc or are these like one day, two day arcs? Oh, no. Of? So this is, yeah, it's, it's one, one two week period is one arc sort of and then it'll move into another other almost term like alternate universes like it's kind of like they're playing with new ideas so i think maybe that okay the what if show that kind of ran is, is maybe a model it's like what if baseball was doing this for two weeks and then what if baseball was doing this for two weeks and they're kind of playing with it so you can kind of get that experience and then probably hopefully come back when they they really launch the uh the full thing back in probably sometime early next year i don't think anyone really knows and they probably don't either so figuring when is when is the next onboard day when's the next um so this one started on monday so it's you're technically in this onboarding period this season this this season will end on friday and then the second season of this two-week period will start next monday and then i don't know when the the second short circuit will start i assume it'll probably start Mm. sometime after thanksgiving because they've been really trying to to build that sustainability and give people breaks both from a staff perspective and from a participant perspective. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, they, they gave what about a few days notice. I think, I think I saw the, the mm-hmm. thing go up last week. So, yeah. uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll call their shot. Cause I think, I think one thing about this, you can often feel like if you're not there from the beginning of a cycle on one of these things, like you feel like you're you're maybe missing out a little bit, and definitely your your influence if you're not part of the economy early on. Can and yeah, and I think that's actually yeah. So the economy is is much tougher to kind of earn votes through mm. the betting system right now. So I think I've been playing for a couple of days, and by this point in like the last couple of seasons, I've had I don't know hundreds of thousands of coins, if not millions, because um, the economy was was real broken. And I think I've acquired about, you actually bet with votes right now. I think I've acquired about 500 because it's pretty hard to, to earn them right now. Cause it's all like, um, if anyone's familiar with sports betting, it's like parlays. You have to bet on multiple games to really rack up the most votes. And it's very hard to land more than like two or three at a time to actually like kind of make any increasing number of, of votes here. So it's, I think it's a way to balance the economy out a little bit too. So maybe they can. Uh, maybe if they can figure out how to balance out their economy, they can figure out how to balance out our economy. Maybe. So, although maybe. I did just hear, I saw there's some poll that went around that apparently Mark Cuban was posting this. Just saw this earlier today. 
uh, something like 4% of the workforce tapped out of the workforce because they're of their crypto games. Hell yeah. Uh, which I'm like, I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's like, that's, that's why we, that's why they can't open that raisin canes in Burbank is because everyone in Burbank's got that sweet crypto. Um, and I just want some chicken fingers, but um, anyway. You gotta, you gotta burn down the, uh, some forest then to get those chicken fingers now. <laughs> I know. God. Nightmare. Chicken um, fingers or a limited edition JPEG of a chicken finger? Uh, no, no, not even a limited edition JPEG of, of a chicken finger. An Excel spreadsheet line saying that I own that limited edition JPEG. Now that's what I'm talking about. Hell yeah. Can you, can you visit uh, that spreadsheet line like once a year? Like that weird tungsten cube? <laughs> the tungsten cube. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. It's so... I, I know some artists who are probably like have probably secured like their kids college fund based on this uh, based on nfts so i'm like hey if you can if you can fleece a whole bunch of people you know doing it go for it yay right like let that happen i just uh yeah Yeah. that was that was what happened the other day just believe in reality like Like a sucker (laughs) wait kevin what were you saying I, that happened the other day. Like someone grifted like two million dollars off some weird NFT squid coin. That, oh, is that no, what it was? Yeah, there's squid coin. No, but there's also the, <laughs> the ape thing. Someone in a Discord, someone like someone stole a bunch of the bored ape NFTs uh, because they got they got social hacked on on a Discord server, <laughs> which I just think I giggle about. It's like you lost a million dollars because you believed it when someone said, "Oh, you're locked out of your account. Let me help you." <laughs> like, oh, and then there was, then there was the, you know, welcome to NFT Corner, the show where we talk about NFTs. There was the um, no future for tacos. Was it, was it Toby Maguire or oh, was God. it? No, it was, it was, it was Elijah, Elijah Wood. Wood. It was Elijah Wood. I always get the two of them confused, even though Elijah Wood's apparently much nicer. Who accidentally <laughs> bought like a super racist NFT or something? Right. And now has sold it, but but here's something that actually bugs me about that. So so Elijah's like, oh, I'm going to sell this. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're still selling it. Like maybe it's worth less now. You're just like, I want to get rid of it. It's like you can't just. At least this NFT style, you can't burn. There, apparently, there's some NFTs you can burn. And like I don't know. So on the podcast this week, I I talk with Scott Stein and I talk with uh, I talk with um, with Tipitat. And um, uh, I don't have Tipitat's last name in front of me, which I'm not saying right now. Uh, uh, and uh, and Tipitat's Twitter handle is Tipitat, so I know them as Tipitat primarily. And Tipitat uh, is one of the principals in the VR fund. And so both of them, I think we touched a little bit on on an NFT stuff about. And and like I was saying, look, you know, like Sutu, who is you know the the lead at iJack, and who's done a lot of really incredible work. Uh, in AR space, like Sutu's deep into it. Lady Phoenix, who is really deep into the NFT space. Lady Phoenix is the lead, creative lead on Brianna's Garden. Like these, these are Nancy Baker Cahill, who's done this amazing work, also deep in, into NFT space. So you've got these visual artists, these digital visual artists, who've never had a market opportunity in, in this way, and and there's so much value in there for, for them. And I and I get it. The art market has always been weird and gross in so many ways. I mean, Banksy's whole shtick is based off to some degree on how gross the art market is, right? I lived in Miami at the time of the banana. You do not have to tell me about how gross the art market is. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, it's it's not surprising. And I just – I definitely worry about – no one's got the right incentives to do really honest analysis of how crypto works, what the environmental impact is, how that compares to other server farms setups, right? Like we've eroded in general, globally, we've eroded faith in civic institutions. Note that I don't say government, right? We've eroded faith in civic institutions as an idea so deeply that there's no one who can be trusted 
to be like, oh, hey, run the numbers. Tell us what's really going on. I and 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 I've seen some some really solid critiques of you know the the whole crypto economy that's mostly predicated on the idea of this idea that we're going to move to proof of stake not proof of work is essentially naive I've seen that argument made and at, at, at the end of the day right now it's like it's 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 baubles and I kind of I, I don't I don't know I see I, there's people Jaden was just just texting me saying that she minted her first uh, NFT today and it's on display at her place of work um, and then Jaden's in here during the recording uh, is texting me <laughs> all the channels going once um, there's other people I know who like jumping in like there's there's the big uh, New York City NFT thing happening this week uh but of course like the more people who jump in on the creative side in this market right how much of those things are they going to be worth right like we're in a bu- we're in a bubble on this stuff right now um bitcoin's worth $60,000 at a throw uh and i just but you still it's not like any of this stuff is really solving structurally solving income inequality or solving any of the problems we have uh as a society uh or making things better for people en masse a few people will get to, you know, move, do upward mobility or, or move their places on the on the grand board, but I just it just doesn't. I've yet to see it fundamentally change the game. And if anything, it, particularly on the the crypto side, we may just find ourselves with an even deeper divide between those who have who are participating and have access to the crypto economy, and those who don't. Um, and there's there's, yeah. In the long run, the idea of a non-fungible token, the idea of um, something tradable, a digital asset that is that is verifiable and tradable and portable for people, I, I that's a that feels like a fundamental building block for anything that resembles a, a metaverse or a a digital world that acts more like the real world, right? Like, and I can see that absolutely being like, you know, a real good, I, I'm not so hot on the scarcity side of things, right? Like, oh, there's only so many of these, but the idea that like, oh, if I bought, if I bought a pair of Nikes and then wanted my avatar to have that pair of Nikes, or maybe more to the point, if I buy a book and that I want to have a digital copy of that book so I can reference it in any platform that I want to, or if I buy a song. Or if I, you know, have access to a, a, an asset somewhere that I have that as, access to that asset everywhere, that I can dig, I can I can truly dig that. That feels good. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, random Noah rant. <laughs> Bleak. Um, you staying on the like talking about anything <laughs> not directly immersive because we're just like yeah, we, everything else is in the can right now. Uh, oh, you, you know, like we're we're come, please forgive us, people. We're coming off of spooky season. We are yeah. all exhausted. Yeah, yeah. Like, give us Things this one. Good. Things are good. Um, but you, but this is kind of related. And then speaking of, because uh, you know, Squid Game's got uh, crypto. Squid Game uh, is, is something that no one should get involved with. It's it's apparently a scam. Um, not even apparently. It's I will say. Wait, will squid Game or Squid Coin? Squid Coin. Squid, squid Game apparently you can get. Very wealthy playing, but it's not worth the risk. I would still highly advise people not to get involved with Squid Game. Right, Squid Coin even worse Squid. apparently. Um, and there was an activation for Squid Game. Actually, not only was there an activation here in LA in Koreatown, like over the weekend, they like busted out a version of the red light, green light robot. Um, and, and so they did that to entertain people, which is kind of creepy, uh, but still. God love them. Glad they did it. Netflix did that. Apparently, there was like a, a seemingly unofficial. There's like a whole bunch of Eventbrite's built up for Squid Game stuff, like around the country. None of which seems to be official. Of which some people are like buying tickets, and we've been we've been trying to figure out like who might be behind this. Because you know what, we'll talk about it, but we sure as hell gonna, aren't going to list or send people off to go to like go to the unofficial Squid Game activation. <laughs> 
Please don't get murdered. Yeah, but you also know me. I'll go to literally everything. I'm 100% going to the unofficial Squid Game activation. I'm sure. That sounds like exactly the kind of janky nonsense that I love. Yeah, we just, we're, yeah, yeah, we won't, we won't. We won't be officially covering that, uh, or, or maybe oh, we're reporting, reporting, reporting back. If you if you survive the process, also if someone's doing that and they don't actually have like you know Netflix's permission, it'll just go the way of the Stranger Things bar, you know, like they'll quickly be be shut down. I'm kind of surprised they haven't been shut down already. Um, but I mean, I am sure the. We are going to enjoy playing The Game of the Octopus, a not-copyrighted production, <laughs> in a few months. But but speaking of Korean yes. media, um, a, a small pandemic addiction of mine, and I, I've got to thank Michael Anderson of our friends at ARGnet for uh, getting me hooked on this, has been... <laughs> Korean immersive game shows is kind of the phrase I want to use. So beginning in about March of 2020, I started watching Busted on Netflix, which is this amazing, almost indescribable show in that it is in a certain sense a reality show in that it is six or so celebrities who assume characters and sort of LARP their way through a murder mystery where everyone else has the script but them. But there are also heavily scripted elements, including scripted actors. A huge, like, clearly very expensive escape room sets, multi-season arcs about evil organizations and their enemies it's it's just this baffling mess and i am utterly hooked on it and so that was my gateway drug um from there i fell into the genius which is just a bunch of people from various different fairly intelligence-requiring fields, but requiring different types of intelligence. So you'll get, you know, a professional gambler, and you'll get a neurosurgeon, and you'll get, you know, an incredibly popular TV anchor. And they will be sent to play zero-sum games of social manipulation against each other in a giant... It almost looks like a cross between an Agatha Christie mansion and, like, the set of Saw. It's it's a very peculiarly aesthetic show. And all of this has culminated in my current addiction, which season four of just ended, which I will probably be spending the most time talking about, which has been The Great Escape, in which six incredibly dull incredibly charming kind of C and B list Korean celebrities are put into the most elaborate escape rooms I have ever seen in my life. We are talking multi-million dollar sets, Mm. huge casts of actors, um, mechanics. Occasionally the set itself will require, you know, movement or trap doors or, like, expertly scouted locations. Huge production design. And only to ever be performed once for these lucky six guys. Uh, With the catch that they don't feel so lucky and that they're incredibly dull and their escape rooms are on no time limits and they are only let out after they compete it. So we're going to see a lot of them, you know, bumbling around for six hours in, you know, a Hollywood quality haunted house, losing their minds, not figuring out a puzzle. Um, Oh, wow. It's an incredibly charming show and... You know, even though we're kind of starting to return to in-person immersive, you know, I I do miss 
blockbuster scope. And this show by far scratches that itch. There is there is one episode, the final uh episode, the final room. Each room is done in two episodes of the third season, um, which I was watching during the pandemic, um, actually brought a tear to my eye, just in terms of like, oh my god, I wish I was here. I I remember the feeling that I am seeing these people have. Uh, the room was a time travel themed room in which they were sent to the 1920s to Japanese occupied Korea to help with the Korean independence movement. And they just borrowed the set from a Netflix period drama, Mr. Sunshine. They enter the room. They have built, you know, the room that the time machine was in. They get in the time machine and then the door to the time machine opens up. They have spun them around, similar to the mechanics, almost if you know, on Rise of the Resistance. (laughs) And suddenly they are in a fully functional, like, small village with, like, a working trolley and, like, at least three dozen actors and multiple shops. Is this inside or outside? Outside! They have a full village with multiple indoor locations. This isn't a full-on Schenectady, New York thing. Right, they didn't build the indoors outside. They, 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 they did just. They didn't brought them. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. It's a little you know, bit it like is that. Out, it is outside, but there's there's full indoor sets as well. You know, all the right. key locations in town. You know, the Western style hotel and the liquor shop that's secretly a front for the resistance movement have you know huge things that they can wander through. They just built like a medieval castle with both interiors and exteriors and its surrounding historic village for season four. The the most impressive one, the one that was mind-blowing this season, um, they did a takeoff on The Cell, uh, that old... Uh, movie where it's, oh, you know, we're diving into the mind of a serial killer to try to figure out what's going on with his plot. Only they fused it with Jumanji. The inside of the serial killer's mind was a small room with a table with a board game they were obsessed with in the room. But as the people play the board game, the room is on a series of conveyor belts and, you know, dropping lifts. And also, you know, they have, you know, say they start in the shed. The shed could be a shell that they lift up. And now around them is the parlor. And then they go down a conveyor belt and they're in a third room. But all without getting up from this gameplay table. It is so mind-blowing, the budgets they spend on this. I cannot get over that. But... Even within that, that they managed to get a group of people who you who you grow accustomed to in a non-competitive environment, it it is sort of the parasocial version of going to immersive with, you know, the same group of people over and over mm. and slowly figuring out oh, likes and dislikes it, as a group. Is it is each season is each season the, the, the same group? Like, is it, has it been one cast this entire the time? The whole show is one cast. Oh, um, wow. Okay. They are likely going to change it for season five because the youngest member of the group has compulsory military service. Mm. But it's a writer on Korean SNL who also has a few Netflix specials, a former pro wrestler, uh, two kind of older, a little bit washed up uh, K-pop stars, um, a pretty successful MMA fighter who has made the transition into kind of acting and variety programs. I, I He almost kind of feels like the Korean version of The Rock. Okay. Um, and the youngest member who is a pretty successful younger pop star. And you've got this wide range of ages and backgrounds. 
And while there are definitely some personality clashes, at least at first, they overwhelmingly grow to love each other after at least one season until it very much feels like this is an escape room family. <laughs> it is well, so say, charming. And so you say, you say season, so like the episodes... Like, is each season one of these themes, and then there's, like, a number of so episodes as they're dealing with the one theme? Each, or is... each season is about five or six rooms, and each room is two episodes. And so... Okay. And the rooms and the rooms the, are each one of these big themes. So, like, the, like the time travel one, that'd be two episodes, but they build this huge yes. thing, and the season... For only two episodes. This, for only two episodes, uh, and they'll build five of the that kind of thing five or six of them yes wow one of the things that i also should bring up that i love for people who are kind of like into cinematic universe stuff is that they built they've built out kind of a cinematic universe of escape rooms and so you know they've they've got kind of an in-universe version of almost like an X-Files style investigation team. Mm. And, you know, they'll be in a room and realize like, oh my God, we're in the X-Files series. Um, or, you know, they have a recurring zombie plot that shows up for a lot of their horror rooms or a whole series about a German exorcist. And these all cross over and intersect with each other and have slowly built out this oddly fleshed out universe and it's wonderful seeing their faces rise and fall as they realize whether they are in one of their favored or hated plot lines (laughs) and what's the name of this again blake this show is the great escape um i have been finding it subtitled on uh r slash korean variety so <laughs> I, I so it's not on netflix but you can definitely this find it on the internet on uh busted busted is on netflix mm-hmm. and i would also highly recommend the first two seasons of that season three got a little eh, uh but but no busted uh and the great escape uh for anyone who is very into immersive theater and production design for three-dimensional space and experience design the show is a ton of fun and also similar to how you were speaking earlier about inscription and how for anyone kind of interested in the crafting of an experience that this can be a lesson not just within the video Mm. game space yeah i think it i think the experience design and the way they structure a non-competitive game is a really interesting lesson. And beyond that, for people more interested in the production side of things, they do end every season with a making of special where they go through the construction and the scripting and alternate puzzles that they considered and puzzles that they accidentally brute forced or missed and, you know, there are errors. There, There's a famous incident where a cat wanders onto the set and the production team has to just be like, okay, we're just running with it. It's a haunted house. It's spooky. Great. So, you know, it's for people interested in that side of things, there's a lot on offer as well. So would highly recommend. And these, these sound kind of familiar to I don't know, Escape the Night, which is like a YouTube series with a bunch of YouTubers yes. from um, 2016, which I caught up on earlier this this year because i'm very late to the game but it has it has some of those like kind of similar elements really like bring together a bunch of youtubers and it's like it it's kind of immersive and it's kind of escape roomy and it was like oh this this like hits that that does kind of what you're talking about like oh it's nice to watch this like it's nice to watch it and also it's so nice to see people get that like immersive sparkle I guess, like, speaking more broadly, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Like, have you ever brought, like, a kid to Disneyland for the first time and gotten to see the look on their face? And, like, how would you compare that to, like, when you brought an adult to sleep no more with you? I feel like it's a very similar face. I think it is because it's, like, kind of blowing someone's mind, right? Like... They haven't experienced this before. It's, I mean, Disneyland, it's like they kind of know what to expect, but it's like, oh, you're at Disneyland. Or, yeah, it's like, oh, you just went through Sleep No More, you went through that, she felt like it's one of those like transformative things. 
Um, so you're right. And you talked about that last week too, is like people realized they were in like an immersive thing and like figured it out and how to like play with it. And it's, it's, it's great to see. It It's really, you know, rewarding as an, as an immersive evangelist to, to get to see that. And as someone who loves the field, getting to see a show where over four seasons now, people have gone from being kind of terrified of immersive and not knowing how to play with the actors to loving the genre and like eagerly diving in like what's the mission this week that's that is great is i don't know if any of us know is there any kind of like immersive scene in korea that like kind of helped spawn this or did it kind of spin out of something else so there's there's a big escape room scene uh in Mm. korea i know um but what this is mostly spun out of is the Korean variety trend kind of picking up on that. There, there's a whole subgenre of Korean variety programming that's really based in, we've taken, you know, actors you like, and we're going to send them on an adventure. And sometimes this is like a real world adventure where it's, hey, we got four actors you like, and we're going to have them play stupid little field day games while they stay at Airbnbs across the country. Um, Or it can be something a little bit more scripted or fantastical, like this, or there's a show called New Journey to the West, or there's an incredibly popular, incredibly long-running show called Running Man that I could not begin to competently speak about, and my friends who are much deeper into this than I am would bite my head off if I got things wrong about. But that was kind of one of the earlier shows, I believe, that really started to build this out. And I think one thing that's going to be just interesting observing from the international market is now that we've gotten both, you know, a historical ramp up in terms of immersion on Korean TV, and we've had the mega hit of the deadly immersive experience that was Squid Game for its players, I'm wondering if there's going to be, you know, the creation of a market there, especially after we leave the pandemic. I know, you know, uh, hop, skip, and a jump across the channel over to Tokyo. Uh, They recently opened their first, like, blockbuster-style immersive Um Oh, I, I think this stuff as, is, I mean, this stuff has taken off all over Asia, right? I just, I just reviewed a show from Singapore. It was great. Yeah, I loved it. Right. So like, uh, you know, not to slide a plug in, but like, you know, Melinda Lau is going to come over from Singapore to the summit and talk about the potential for immersive in, in, in Singapore and Southeast Asia, like in general. And, you know, and we know escape rooms, like started in Japan and then like popped over here for a second, didn't quite take off and then wound up in like Eastern Europe and then proliferated from there, like came back to the States through that cycle. We know that there are these elaborate uh, murder mystery events that are called scripted murders in China. We know that there are these really, really big, um, you know, immersive things going on in, in, in China. We know that, Sleep No More has been running in Shanghai for a long time. We know that uh, I can, the potential is huge and it's like already happening. If anything, if anything, I kind of wonder if the popularity of this material over there is going to, you know, impact its popularity in the West in terms of getting people excited about it. I'm, I'm also really interested in this idea of more television and more games borrowing the tropes borrowing the techniques or even just showing this stuff um is going to get people interested in like oh i wish i could go do that right because like you know there's someone who's like encountering this game show or who encounters the movie escape room or something or whatever and it's the first time they've even heard of the concept and they're like you mean i could i could go do a thing that was something like that it's like yeah you totally could cost you 40 bucks and then they'll be in right so I don't I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. I don't know if they have anything in English, 
but just a little teaser of something I'm investigating in Philadelphia that I have not brought up with you yet, Noah, so you're going to hear this for the first time. Okay. Appealing to some of the international students in the Penn area, I believe I have found a U.S. script murder uh, location. A, I don't know what you'd call it, a script murder parlor, a script murder venue. But, but they're using that uh, term and not murder mystery. Well, they're they're not using any of those terms, at least okay. not in English. But perusing their website, it appears that they have long, multi-hour scripted games that all the posters for have tons of blood on them. So... I've been trying to figure out what this place was for maybe three months now, because I pass it uh, maybe three times a week. It's maybe a 20-minute walk from my office. Mm. Um, And now that I've been seeing all of these articles about script murders, I am pretty sure that's what this place has on offer. So no guarantees, everybody, but watch this space. All right. That actually is a pretty decent place for us to wrap on. So obviously we didn't talk about anything that would be pick of the week material. So we won't do pick of the week. What we will do. Pick of the week. Go watch The Great Escape. (laughs) So what we will do is uh, stop the recording in Zencaster in a minute and then uh, open the floor up uh, because both Spencer and Jaden are around. So we'll pull them up and uh, we'll just look at the conversation going on uh, over here in the main stage in the NoPro Discord. Hey, if you're listening to this uh, in the podcast form, know that we do record these Wednesday night in our Discord. Um, we, it's also totally possible to come into the discord and, uh, connect with other folks. We are constantly uh, refining it so that there's, uh, easier to, to navigate. Uh, nowadays we have just two sections that are publicly visible. There's the bulletin board, uh, which has the listings for all the various, uh, different domains. So news and event listings in, uh, both regional and subject categories, uh, and then we also have uh, just Main Street, as we like to call it, which uh, has the big general chat. And then it also has the chat area called the cafe, if you want to come in and find other immersive folks to, to talk with. And yeah, uh, on behalf of uh, the review crew this week, uh, I want to say thank you for listening. And uh, we will be back in a week's time. See you then, folks. Bye.